Hello and welcome to Two Cans and a String. I'm Jax, your host. How's everybody doing? I'm I'm great. It's been again. Couldn't ask for more lovely weather. Uh, been having this little fantail uh, pop around the house a lot. Not in the house, just flying around outside. Landed on Fiona's finger the other day. I'm pretty jealous about that. She literally had a snow white moment been trying to have that for my whole life but no big deal um yeah so today I'm just gonna cover a story about being stuck in tight spaces you know being stuck some people are feeling a bit stuck stuck indoors could be worse you could be trapped in a really tight space so I'm gonna talk to you about this guy called Seth Rowe and then I'm gonna loosely relate being stuck in a space to a personal story as well and um yeah so buckle on up apologies if you hear a whirring noise in the background uh that's just fee just whipping up a coffee cake for us to enjoy i'm very excited about it considering i can't really eat tiramisu anymore me and cream we ain't we ain't getting along so I've had to say goodbye. But anyway, we're going to go on to a story, Seth Rowe. Um, and I found, I did some loose research and did the, you know, the classic thing of when you have to write an essay and you had to go to the reference section back in the day before you had Google and you would have to read a whole lot of books and then rewrite their story in a different way. So you just really use a thesaurus and change a whole lot of things. So I've picked up a lot of information from three different websites. Uh, one is an article, a story written by Lisa Federman from Reader's Digest. Uh, and then I also went on to the globemail.com and I also went to CTV News Canada. So thanks guys for the information. It's just before noon on June 20th, 2015. It's a chilly day in the Nottawasaga Bluffs conservation area, and this area is a rugged area. It's in the snow belt, and it's about 140 kilometres northwest of Toronto, Toronto, Canada. And the Nottawasaga Bluffs is beautiful. It's a beautiful park with limestone rock. It's got lots of forest and like occasional snowdrifts in the month of June. And the park is also a natural hazard area. So it like contains like fissures, like crevices. Let's start that again. Fissures, crevices, and cliffs, all of which are dangerous and they can be hidden and you can fall on that shit. So authorities, like, you know, they say, hey, you want to stay on those marked trails, guys? But I checked the website, and they aren't really being maintained, so they're kind of recommending that hikers stay away from the trails, so go figure. So anyway, Seth Rowe is a 30-year-old local plumber and pipe fitter. He has a wife, Jamie, two kids, Wyatt, who's 15 months, and Joella, who's four years old. Seth you know, he's still a bit of a daredevil, you know, uh, he's an avid hiker, he goes out hunting, he's apparently quite charming, sometimes a bit irresponsible, and he knows that after a night of partying with his buds, he should be at home wallowing in self-induced pity like the rest of us, but instead he's what, I've, what I would call an active hangover recovery expert. So 
there's people who have a normal hangover and are at home not happy. happy. Sorry, I just got interrupted there by Fee. Uh, she came in with some buttercream icing, coffee buttercream icing for me to try. So it's pretty good. It's absolutely delicious, actually. Sorry about that. So yeah, I was saying, hangovers, um, you can be an active hangover person or a lazy hangover person, I, or you could be mildly active, well, a sluggish hangover person. You could make it out to go and do brunch, or you, you just stay at home, and then you've got the other people that go out and like hike mountains and shit. So he's one of those guys. So this Saturday, Seth decides to change things up ever so slightly, and he parks his truck in an unplowed field about half a kilometre beyond where he usually would park his truck. And then he goes through his hike, and he like finds himself standing at the edge of this crevice in the forest, and he's like, yeah, a crevice. And this is like little more than a crack in rough terrain. It's like barely 50 centimetres wide, and, you know, curiously he's looking in and he's standing at the edge and he's kind of like poised to go in and then next minute bring 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 telephone call jamie his wife she's like where are you you know she's annoyed he's not home yet because they're meant to be taking the kids to a film later on you know so then he's like vague and he's like oh i'm in the forest and it's you know super reassuring for someone who's kind of annoyed that you're not home yet but hey, I'm not here to victim blame. And he says he'll be home in about an hour and he hangs up and, you know, and what he's thinking is like, okay, I'll go home once she's calmed down, you know. So Seth, he changes back to the crack in the ground and he's he's like, he knows that the temperature inside will be probably about minus two degrees Celsius. And he loves the challenge of exploring caves and and nooks and crannies which he usually does with his mates but on this occasion he figures that his jeans t-shirt and sturdy jacket he carries should be sweet you know he won't be long yeah right so he like braces his arms on the edge of the crevice to control his descent you know and he's like breathing and deeply and exhaling to relax his muscles and and you know and help make his he's like 183 centimeters tall and he's 70 kgs and he's trying to make his body as small as possible. And, you know, this is something he learnt, like, in his 20s when he started caving. Or spelunking, if you will. Uh, there are actually a lot of things you should do when you're spelunking. Yep, I'm going to go with it. Uh, breathing, of course, is important. Uh, wearing the right gear. Making sure your energy levels are high. So you want to bring snacks, a rope, survival kit, and a headlight helps. Um, then there's of course, tell people where you're going or maybe don't go alone and preferably avoid wet or snowy areas. Just some simple common sense really. But remember, Seth is actively hungover. So his brain's not fully functional today. So down he goes, down, down. And he's, you know, he's got like ice covered walls, you know, around him and, you know, and he's, he's got his feet in different areas and, he, and he's got his like hiking boots on and he's like moving moving his feet around and he's trying to find like a little ledge or 
like cracked to hoist himself up, you know. And like he's he doesn't think it matters that he has none of like all the equipment that you kind of have to have. And, you know, he reckons he'll be in and out, you know, without a prop. So he opens up his like cell phone and he uses it to like look around and light his surroundings and he notices, you know, yeah, he can see his breath in front of him. It's pretty icy and it stinks of like damp earth. And after a few minutes he realizes if he goes any further, like he won't be able to climb out. So he's, he steps on that rock that he thought he'd found before when he was casting his foot around ready to like hoist himself out of the crevice and then one two and then boom the rock gives away and like Seth slides into the black void and like that you know he's like through the tiny 50 centimeter wide opening and then he keeps like you know sliding down like and once his like slide comes to a stop like he obviously is like takes a few minutes catch a breath you know like holy shit your heart's gonna be like beating out of your chest and then the sheer force of the falls left him wedged like a cork, a cork in a bottle. And like the tip of his nose is like squashed against one wall. And the back is like flush and like raw against like the one wall behind him. Like because his t-shirt had gone up as he'd slid. And he'd shaved off all the skin on his chest and his back. And the rocks are like coated with ice. And like because he's slid so deep underground. Like, it was so tight that he couldn't put the jacket on, because he still got his jacket in his hand, or, like, tied around his waist or something. Still got his jacket with him, and he, like, can't put it on, you know, and he, he later says that he, like, lost feeling in his hands, and he was, like, shaking from the chill, you know. So, at this stage, of course, he know he's not a clue where he is, like, how long he slid for, or whether he went straight down or not. And it turns out he had slid 12 metres underground, and not, dropped just straight down he'd gone like six meters off that slide and and went off onto a different angle at six meters so he ended up about 20 meters underground and it made it impossible for anyone to see him up uh, from above so now he's like wedged in a, a crevice like 20 centimeters wide like that is that's less than a normal ruler that you would carry around at school So he like, at this point, he's like, okay, you want to stay calm? Stay calm? St like, stay calm? I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I would have doubled insides, swelling from sheer panic. Um, firstly, I can't handle any of the following situations. One, trying a ring on and then realizing once I forced the ring past my knuckle, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And now I'm going to die with a ring too small on my finger stuck in my hand for the remainder of my short life because I'm certainly going to die. So your finger then instantly swells to the size of the local butcher's finger. Like, uh, that is proper panic for me. Two, trying on a top or a dress that is made of stiff fabric. And then if you can just, like, get it over your head and shoulders, you'll be sweet. And then you realize you can't breathe in the garment. And then next thing you know, you're having a full-blown panic attack in a dressing room with your tits hanging out, both of your arms stuck above your head, and you're sweating, and you're going to die, and they'll find you in the dressing room. Sometimes I welcome the sound of like torn fabric in these situations. At least I can then hulk out of the dress. Like my left boob always hulks the underwire out of my bra. But that's that's a whole nother story. Okay, so and then the third one is when I like am going to the toilet anywhere. Like friends' houses, bars, restaurants, public loos, and school, like whatever. Nick minute, loo lot won't open. 
I, I don't know about you, but I go into instant panic. Like, panic! I instantly look around for an escape route. Heaven forbid I have to call out in public for help. No. My heart is, like, racing. Like, I am, like, having, like, super elaborate ideas of getting the porcelain, like, cistern cover, cover off and, like, bashing the shit out of a doorknob. Like, it's, it's an awful, crazy time. It doesn't happen often, but it happens often enough to keep me on my toes, like, throughout my life. And, like... One of the most memorable times was when I was starting at my new school, Epson Girls Grammar to be exact, and la di da, and um, I was like 15, and I was having orientation around the school by this chick, Alexis, who was a super funny human being, and so this is like day two, you know, and Alexis was like showing me around school grounds, and like we come across the art block where all the art classes take place and whatnot, and it's about time, like this time I realise I need to pee. Well, there's a loser right in front of me, so I go in. And there's about five cubicles, and there's, like, other girls, like, using the sinks and shit. And I go into the loo, like, do my thing, and go to leave. No. The lock is jammed. Like, oh, God. Like, how the heck am I going to get out of here? So, like, a few minutes go by, and, like, I'm in full panic mode. I'm, like, Lisa Simpson, like, using geometry, trying to figure out, like, if I hit the toilet roll holder at a certain certain angle with my foot, like, could I get enough purchase to get up and over the top of the cubicle, you know? So then, like, Alexis comes in, and she's calling out my name, so I have to be like, hey, kind of locked in the loo, and I can't get out. Like, remember, this is, like, my second day of school, and I know no one, let alone Alexis. Like, she's just showing me around school, you know? And she's, like, can you, like, squeeze under? Like, there's, there's like, a gap under the cubicle walls, but, like, I've been genetically blessed with an arse and tits, and even at 15, I was just, when I was just a skinny teenager, that junk was not going to fit underneath, let alone the grossness of, like, a toilet floor, water, and shit. Like, but So... I was like, oh, no, I'll try and climb over, you know. The the walls were, like, flimsy, and, like, the loo roll holder was no way in hell to be able to support this weight of sheer panic bearing down on it. And I, like, called over to the next cubicle, like, asking them to let me know when they'd be out of the loo so I could, like, give it a go, you know. So I gave it a go. And, like, another thing you should know about me is that I'm easily one of the most unco- or uncoordinated people in the world and I once tripped myself up on day one of a 10 week hip hop dance class trying to dance across a gym court but that's like a whole nother story so like I slip and I like managed to break the loo roll holder and but I catch myself on the walls before hitting the gross like toilet floor and it, like apparently the walls fully warped either side as they fell like the other girls that saw it and like by now, like there's a big crowd of girls, like they're gathering, and I'm thinking, oh great, this is it, I'm gonna die here in the art block toilets of my new school. So Alexis then yells, she's like, stand back. So I do, and she kicks the door in like an FBI agent, and it was, I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And so like I come out, and like all the girls like start like slow clapping me, and like clapping, and what do you do? Like the only thing you can do is like take a bow. So took a bow. It was bloody embarrassing, and I sure made a first impression on Alexis. Back to Seth, and he's actually in the life-death situation. He's not had any of, it's not, not, it's quite a different situation. But, you know, that's what it reminded me of. So Seth is trapped 12 metres underground. He's in an icy crevice that is 20 centimetres wide, and he has nothing helpful with him. Okay, he looks up. 
he sees a crack of light about 20 meters above him and he's like sweet okay I'll, I'll try and phone for help and then he reaches and he realizes there'll be no service like when he's that far underground so like he tries to move up but the, he, like he's stuck he is wedged and he's helpless you know so like one hour passes maybe two three and like in the dark he's fully loses track of time like his mind is wandering like he thinks he's gonna die and he snaps out of it and he's like wondering what everyone at home is doing what are they thinking do they even know he's missing and then like every once in a while he calls out your lady no he actually doesn't i just uh, why do people yodel is it so they can be found in the mountains no anyway so sorry uh no he he yells your help help is anyone there Basically, I was fully going to do an impersonation, but thought better of it. So, of course, nobody's answering because he's in a forest down a crack in the earth, hasn't told anybody. He's probably gone off the track when they when the park authorities recommend that you stay on the track. So then he's like, oh, you know, thinking no Jamie will find me she's going to find me she's going to find the truck she's going to bring a rope it's, you know it becomes like his thing like he's saying it over and over again you know it's his mantra like and then even though he's like parked his truck in that unplowed field about half a k beyond where he usually leaves it he reckons not 100% his wife's going to find him so then like he's starting to notice like his hands and feet are like getting numb numb they're getting numb from the damp and and the iciness and the fact that he's like not moved f properly f you know he's stuck he can't do the ymca on his back yeah, like he's fully like wedged on in there and like he wishes he could put on that jacket but you know he there ain't any room you know so he like begins to like pray out loud you know and he's like god you know get me how i got myself in here but like can you help me out like tomorrow's father's day sunday it's father's day what's the question sorry Tomorrow's Father's Day, you know, he wants to spend another day with his family, like, please God, please God. And, like, by now, it's totally dark, and, like, if, you know, he's, he starts to hear this, like, snuffling and, like, <laughs> like, growling above, and he's like, what is that? And then he sees, like, a glint of, like, golden eyes, and he realizes it's a coyote, and the coyote can smell his blood, and like he's he's frightened, like and he's like, please, you know, someone help me. And then he he hears a voice, or like, does he hear a voice? You know, he's been calling out all day, and maybe he, now he's hallucinating. But then the voice repeats, like, where are you? You know, like it's a real person, like a, a fully. And then the only reason that those people um found him is because they had gotten lost and gone off track because they gotten lost or something like that and so they were in the wrong place at the right time you know and um so like what a relief what a relief to you know hear someone out like someone else when you're in a bit of a tight spot where you Anyway, so the relief floods over him, and he's he's like he's thinking I'm gonna I've been found, and soon I'll, I'm gonna be pulled to safety, like shortly, not quite. It's like eight p.m., you know. Jamie, she's in the movie theater, about to sit down. She's like twenty k away, and she gets a call, 
and you know she'd gone out to look for him earlier that afternoon but there was no sign of his truck because it wasn't parked where he usually parks and like he wasn't answering his phone so she turned around and so then she's been cursing him out all day you know supposed to be going to this movies and then next thing you know her phone rings she listens to the hiker calling her and she like bolts out of the movie theater with the kids she's like calling calling her um, friend to come and take the kids um she's like 45 minutes gets there you know and she kneels by the crevice and like calls out to him and like lets him know that she's there so she'd obviously called the authorities as well like straight away and so the fire chief this this guy called Colin Sewell and um other members of the nearby nearby Clearview Fire Department are already at the scene uh, when she arrives and firefighters from the city of Barrie which is about 59 kilometers to the east have arrived as well and the team is prepared to rescue like the the sky you know this has, happens every every year in the area so this guy Bill Boys who's Barry he's on the other fire department Barry's deputy fire chief and he soon realizes the rescue is going to be more difficult than they originally thought like there was no obvious opening to get to Seth so the team think he, he must have slid in an angle um, and gone down about 20 meters so Boys makes the call to get a guy who was off duty who was on their team and he's experienced in crevice diving so he was their best hope in getting Seth out so they needed him to to get there you know so by 10 p.m like this site has got it's lit up like an airport landing strip it's got a bonfire to keep rescuers warm um there's this guy called David Dunt and he's an, a rescue expert and he uh, he arrives and like he opts to go down and assess the situation and um so he's the guy that that boys had called and uh he thinks that the crevice he'll only be down there for like 20 minutes or so you know and this guy done he's like 178 centimeters tall and he's 91 kgs of pure muscle like and he puts on a full body harness over his like light clothing claps on his hard hat and lantern and heads it and then his colleagues like lower him the eight meters into the black hole so then he like lands on a narrow shelf and he trains his light down and the beam catches a tiny figure about 12 meters below him off at an angle and it's like like more than 10 meters away so in between is the opening that Seth has been staring at for more than 10 hours this guy's been staring at this one wall and, and that's the opening where he is and um it's like so small it's the 20 centimeters like it's barely enough room for like a skinny couple of legs to pass through never mind like a dude's full torso you know so Dunt like calls out to Seth to like make sure he's awake and he also asks Seth if he's had any caving experience and you know Seth croaks back that he had so although Seth was like super under equipped Dunt is relieved to hear that he un understands the principles of caving such as like muscle relaxation and like compression of your diaphragm and like how to use a seat harness but Dunt like also was thinking this guy's probably hypothermic he's been underground for a while now in an icy kind of sitch you know so then he radios above that they need to get him some food and water to help like get his energy levels up because other because Seth is going to need to like push himself as they pull him out you know 
So Dunt stays down there, like, talking with Seth about life, like, his wife, his kids, like, anything to, like, keep him awake, you know. And 40 minutes later, he helps thread, like, this weighted rope more than 12 metres in the dark, which Seth then catches and, like, manages to, like, secure around him. And then they use these, like, big hydraulic pillows to keep the rock apart and um, set a pulley system up to get, like, Seth water and energy bars and, like, a thermal blanket. Um, next firefighters send in a, a rescue harness, which then, um, Seth is talked through, like how to put it on. And that takes about half an, half an hour. Cause remember he is wedged in there. Like he can fucking hardly move. Um, and like each minute, each second, you know, he's like grunting and he, you know, he's, he's searing a pain cause he's like whipped all the skin off his chest and his back. And so, like, he's there and starts panicking because he does. He, he thinks he can't move his legs. He can't feel his legs. So Dunt is like, "Chill out, mate. You can. Your legs are there. You can feel them. It's going to be okay. You're just panicking, you know." So now it's like eleven fifteen, and they've been. It's like been nearly like twelve hours, and Seth, he's like finally getting pulled, and it's like less than a millimeter at a time. But like, he he screams a lot and you know this is like ugh, in a cave like an echoey cave and like Dunt you know has to yell for them to like drop him drop him you know and it's like talk to me Seth you know and you know have you dislocated your shoulder your hip like what's going on meanwhile like if that's happened they'd be up shit Greek if you did that you know um, it's so like Seth, he's like, he's in heaps of pain, like he's not responding properly and, you know, so the firefighters start again and they sort of like reel him in like a big fish, you know, like centimetres forward and then back and, and like one hour it turns into two, then three and then four and then like finally Seth is like shifted over six metres so now he's like directly underneath Dunt and he's warming up a bit because they're blasting this like heater into the crevice to keep it warm but he's like, he still needs to get through the other small gap that he originally had fallen through. So it's at this point Dunt like hears this like rhythmic knocking like a woodpecker and he realises it's his helmet hitting the wall behind him because he can't stop shivering. So he taps out like he gets hauled up and he's like wrapped in thermal blankets and then like another firefighter goes down to keep Seth talking and awake. Meanwhile it's like half three in the morning and boys that deputy fire chief from Barry meets with the other guy, uh, Sewell, the fire chief, and from the other spot, and, uh, you know, they decide they need more expertise, so they call the Ontario Provincial Emergency Operations Centre, whoa, you try and say that fast five times, which dispatches the Toronto Fire Services to the scene, so at 5.30, the firefighters come from the city, well, they arrive from the city. Dunt spots an old mate, like, He's like, oh, Chris, Chris Rowland. You know, he's this guy that he knows from, like, way back, and he's one of the firefighters. And, like, Chris is a stocky, like, rescue specialist, specialist, and he's got a loud, commanding voice, so naturally, like, this guy takes over. He's like, boom, I'm Chris, I know my shit, I'm here to take take over. So he'd be, like, the hero in the blockbuster. Okay. By now, there are like 50 firefighters and paramedics on the site, and Seth has been in the crevice for 17 and a half hours. 
Roland then outlines a plan, like first chip away at the narrow entrance to open the crevice up, and then three of um three of them in hard hats and protective gear, like and harnesses and whatnot, they then hang themselves upside down so they can use electric chisels to like chip that tiny gap and um you know open it up by about eight centimeters, which would be big enough for Seth to then wiggle through. So they start at quarter past six. It takes them three hours to chisel this rock as hunks of this, like hunks of it's like falling off and hitting Seth in the head, you know. And he's like, oh, shit, you know. And the guy's hanging upside down, you know. They have to take turns, you know, coming up for breaks because, I, you know, you get dizzy. You'd probably pass out. I know I would. So at 9.30 a.m., the opening is wide enough and... They use ropes to carefully haul him, like, harnessed Seth up out of the depths. And um, first, like, Dunt goes back down into the crevice to give his lifeline to Seth, you know, to to help get him up, you know. And then at 9.48 a.m., like, 22 hours after Seth went in, Seth emerges from the crevice with shredded clothes, a body, like, he's scraped raw red, he's, like, and he's got this big, like, bleeding gash on his head and like the first thing he says to his wife is I want a Big Mac and fries and then she lulls and then she tells paramedics he's fine and he is he spends like one night in the hospital where he's treated for hypothermia and abrasions to his chest and back 10 days later on Seth's 30th birthday he throws this massive party and invites all the rescuers along to say thanks and work on his next hangover so there you have it that's the story of Seth Rowe who got trapped for 22 hours, in a 20 centimetre wide rock crevice, which is crazy. The story I wanted to share with you uh, that related to an experience where I got stuck was I was about 11 or 12 and I grew up on a farm as I've mentioned and uh, my friend Kylie Phillips was having a birthday party and they lived in this cool um, two-story you know farmhouse and they had a laundry chute which is the stuff of movies you know and the laundry chute it went from their parents wardrobe floor so it was like a little hatch that you lifted up and you could just like kick your laundry into the, into this hole and take it down into the laundry. So it was probably about two metres, the actual chute. And it went off on a, I'd say like if, you know, the top of the hole is at 12 o'clock, the angle would be five on the clock, you know. And then it, so it'd go down for like half a meter and then, or just over half a meter and then it would flatten out and then it would go back down to that five o'clock angle for an, you know, so over, overall it was kind of like a zigzag. It wasn't just a straight shoot, it was a zigzag shoot. So we were not, obviously, never allowed to play in that. No. Not allowed to to have fun and slide down the laundry chute. What? No. And of course, being kids, we didn't listen. And which is bold of us because Mrs. Phillips was absolutely terrifying when we were children. She's, you know, like not, not afraid to bloody put you in your place, you know. So 
we all snuck off and we're like, yeah, let's go. And we'd done this for years. We'd gone and like slid down this uh, laundry chute for years. Every birthday, Kylie Phillips had ever had, did it. And um, I had had a growth spurt. Uh, so I was the tallest in the class. And we get to the laundry chute and I was like, oh, can I go first? Can I go first? Because I love slides. And I go down and as I'm going down, I get stuck. So I've got my arms down to my side and I have got my calf muscles uh, sort of like my feet are dangling out on the second part of the angle and my calves are on the flat bit of the zag, the zigzag. And so my mates can only see my head and I'm like full, they can see my face, like I can look up and I'm like full panic and I, I, like I'm wedged, I can't get out. <laughs> so half the girls run downstairs to the like laundry and they see my feet at the top of the zag. So they're like, you gotta wiggle, you gotta wiggle and I'm wiggling. And like I said, you get, you get, uh, if you're not practiced in being in crevices then you panic and you smell up and you don't breathe appropriately and I was not doing any of those things so I was like that foaming sealer that you can put in places and just swelled up and I was not moving anywhere I couldn't so I had half of my friends pushing me on my head and I then had half of my friends pulling me from below and like I am panicking, panicking, and it felt like it was the longest time. It probably was only about five minutes, but it felt like an hour. And, like, finally I just, like, pop like out the bottom of the laundry chute and onto my friends. And we decided that that was the last day we'd play in the laundry chute, or at least was the last day I could play in the laundry chute. So, yeah, that was my story of being stuck in a laundry chute. So be careful before you go down laundry shoots, people out there. Thanks for tuning in and listening to a couple of stories there. Um, just remember, if you're stuck indoors, it could be worse. See what I did there? Stuck. Got stuck indoors. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. Um, thanks for coming along thanks to where i got my resources from i already gave them the shout out and you know if you want to send through any stories of your own where you've been in a sticky situation or if you've got any requests you can flick me an email at string two cans and at gmail.com it's two as in t-w-o and is also a word Uh, and then you can also contact me on instagram again string two cans and uh so that'd be great um until next time toodaloo